Welcome to the Roll Bama Roll podcast. I'm Wesley Gullett. As always, I'll be joined by Brad Canning. Brad, the bulk of current news coming out of Tuscaloosa has been basketball-centric. Four of Alabama's five signees have all committed within the last two weeks. Nate Oates now has a top 20 recruiting class in the country. We'll break that down shortly. We'll also hit on how college basketball may change for good with the NBA G League now making high six-figure offers to high school prospects and how, how that may benefit Alabama. But first, I wanted to touch on the commitment list for football. And Brad, that list is not long. Yeah, this isn't going to take much time, is it? <laughs> it's one name. Deontay Lawson, inside linebacker from Mobile. He's the lone commitment for Nick Saban and staff. He is an interesting prospect. There's a ranking discrepancy with the two major sites in the recruiting industry. He's a consensus four-star, but 24-7 has him ranked as a top 50 player in the country, third overall in the state. Rivals, however, has him ranked as the 230th overall prospect in the country and seventh in the state, so quite a difference there. Uh, I think as the cycle goes on, I don't know if you've watched him any, and if the analysts actually get a chance to watch them in person at some point, I think his composite ranking will start trending towards his top 50 overall ranking on 24-7. But I say all this to ask, are you concerned at all with the lack of commitments for Alabama right now? No, not even pandemic be damned. So, <laughs> all right. um, no, I'm not at all because I've seen bigger challenges overcome in far less time, you know, with this, this program, basically. I mean, Coach Saban, the one thing we'll never have to worry about other than, you know, having to reflect back to two years ago in that terrible sixth-ranked class is, you know, recruiting. And I have a feeling if we can return to some type of normalcy over the next few months, uh, that number is going to go up pretty big, I, I expect. But uh, I do think he is an underrated prospect for now. As he continues to develop, so I, I do think he's going to move up the board some more. Now, how, however, I don't have much of a concern unless it's December and we're going into the final you know, stretch. Then at that point, uh, let's see where we're at. If we're still single digits, and, then, yeah, we, uh, we, might, we might need to start hitting the road ourselves. So. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say, like, I'm not in panic mode by any means. But I'm also a little reluctant to act like it's no big deal. If if we did not have an early signing period in December, I would have no concern. But the December dates do kind of move the overall timeline up, right? No, yes, 100%. You know, you see a large percentage of recru- recruiting classes full in the early period. Then adding to that is that none of these kids can take visits right now. And none of them can can camp for the staff to see them in person, which camp performances traditionally an area where Nick Saban really puts a lot of stock in and, and kind of forms his recruiting board from that. Yeah. And I mean, he's had more time now to, to digest film than he's ever had on potential players over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of the thing that he's kind of changed within himself and within the program, it's not a big change, but they are tweaking certain things that they look for now, you know, in a particular prospect. So I think that's a, a minute part of why we only have one commitment for now as well. But, you know, I also think it's just, it, unfortunately, it's a, it's the luck of the draw on this one because I have a feeling it would be, things would be a lot different. This past uh, weekend was A-Day. Yeah. Or supposed to have been. Yeah, it and would be. I have a feeling you would have had three or four, maybe more commitments coming out of that had things gone as planned. So Yeah, I mean, generally uh, every year they get, you know, there's a lot of visits for the spring game and there's generally a commitment or two that, that weekend. Mm-hmm. So they, they so, lost out on that. 
I think it's going to really pick back up going into the summer uh, as long as, you know, life is returning to a somewhat of a normalcy perspective. But right now, I'm not too concerned. Uh, it's still far too early. Uh, if anything, I think he's going to have a better grasp on each individual player that he's going to go visit or watch or send somebody to. Yeah. And, and like you said, with the tape, they're going to have to rely on tape pretty much. And hopefully, oh, I guess it, the upcoming high school season as well, if there if there is one. Uh, yeah, I mean, NFL draft next week is just as big, too, for them. I mean, they're not getting private workouts anymore. They're not going to pro days. <laughs> okay. yeah. They're going to be drafting people based off of tape more than anything, too, as well. So uh, it's more than just recruiting that has changed. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays itself out. Is there guys maybe that their movement on certain teams' boards in terms of recruiting is different now? They've moved up or down more than they would have had they this happen, not happened. So... I saw one GM throw out the idea that every team should get two more picks. Like, they should take it to nine rounds now, which leaves them more room for error. Oh, okay. Well, it sounds like like a team that's poor. (laughs) I don't think that's going to happen for them. Yeah, good luck. um, So, Brad, not concerned at all. Me, slightly concerned. But look, hey, the last time you brought up that 2018 class, you know, the sixth-ranked, the sky is falling Mm -hmm. class. The last time that we saw like the unprecedented slow start was that cycle, which it uh, it wasn't awful, but it has to be considered the worst class of the Saban era, right? Which is great. Which is great to say. <laughs> I mean, well, I'd still like the, the some of the players to finish out yeah. their uh, their eligibility before I make that declaration. But staff wise, is it's night and day different of who recruited them versus who's recruiting guys now. Yeah. So uh, I, I think it's it's a little bit of both. Yeah, I mean, and it wouldn't be the end of the world to have another sixth-ranked class, obviously, but we've been spoiled with the, you know, our first and second overall classes, and it makes a difference. But No, I agree. You know, anyways, uh, before we get to Nate Oates and his class, I want to talk about what we've seen happen in college basketball this week, and it's significant for the future of the sport, in my opinion. Jalen Green, one of the top three overall basketball recruits in the nation, was offered a one-year $500,000 deal by the NBA's G League, which he chose over both Memphis and Auburn. Hate it for him. Uh, yeah. This was the first G League deal we've seen like this. And it doesn't seem like they're done. They've offered Greg Brown now, the ninth overall prospect in the country, one year $400,000, which he can now take over both Texas and Auburn, hate it for him again. But now that this is out there, if you're a top 15 guy in the nation, you get an offer like this, Brad, what incentive do you have to go spend a year at, say, Kentucky for free or go play for, like, Will Wade for 20% of that number? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is going to bring so much attention on, you know, how this process goes for these guys doing this and going into the draft next year, the NBA draft. And if their stock, you know, stays the same or gets even better, because I don't know how you compete against an offer that strong. If this works out, doesn't hurt players physically and, you know, their draft status wise, too, as well. They make a crap ton of money and they still get drafted the same as they would have if they went to college. Yeah. The only thing different is they're not getting 12 credit hours. Right, they don't have to go to class. Like This team will play exhibition games against other G League teams and international teams. So they're, they're going to also take money management courses. It's all revolved around their development on the court and how to handle life off of it once they're drafted. So unless, yeah. unless you just like want the college experience or you've maybe always dreamed of playing in the tournament and you don't want to pass that up, I, just, like, I don't see a way 
that some of these schools can compete with that. Yeah, I, I don't see how a college experience of any type is going to rival and compete with the minor league of the NBA when you also know, I'm sure, current you know NBA players are going to have some outreach and insight into these players as well throughout their year there. I would not be shocked at all if some of them you know, try to mentor or have a hand in it. So I don't know what experience you're going to play international teams, you're going to travel. To me, if, if I'm somebody that's got that much money looking at me in the face and this opportunity, it's going to have to be just some type of crazy i don't even know what it would take for for myself personally to have to go to college for a year versus this i mean can who can pass that up though can a middle class or lower class family pass that up no i mean no no you can't i mean and but see how does it do they have agents that represent them throughout this yes how how does that work so they can hire an agent yeah and also also i heard i had somebody message me and say if they flame out of this, like if they're not as good as they think they are or the, the G League thought they were and they end up not getting drafted and basketball does not work out for them, the NBA pays for their scholarship. Oh damn. Yeah. So what where what's the downside to this? That's that was you know, that's the big concern here is is what's the fail safe? Well the fail safe is you can still go to college. You know, you, if you don't have an offer, you can at least try to walk on to redeem yourself. So and who but like who does this hurt? Who does this ultimately hurt? A school like Kentucky, right? Yeah, it's going to hurt the the tra- traditional recruiting blue bloods. Yeah. yeah, it hurts a school like Kentucky or some of the other the programs who recruit those one and done guys every cycle and the ones that live off of that. What do oh, you I'll do? You what, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I'm just going to say we're, we're going to figure out how strong of, of an offer Will Wade can put together. I'm <laughs> yeah, tell you I, don't that. Know, I don't know if he can put one together <laughs> that strong. But like, what do you do if you're Coach Cal? Do you go up against other schools and a half million dollars and try to sell Kentucky and your and maybe your history of putting guys in the league? Or do you start going after guys that are maybe still highly ranked, but say the, the 25th overall prospect that, that's really probably not a one-and-done guy that may be there for two or three years? Like, you may have to change your entire recruiting philosophy. Yeah, and you know, this is just a far bigger example of why coaches that are in the game a long time have got to where they are because it's just another hurdle hurdle they're going to have to adjust to and overcome to continue to have success. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Sure, it's going to have an effect no matter what you do, but you still can be successful regardless of this because it's not just a, a shoe-in for everybody because now what you have is a tier for you know, kids coming out of high school to try to achieve. Mm-hmm. I may have this one offer at this one school that I like, but I also want to try to get this money instead. And if you don't get the money, well, you still got the school. And I think that's part of the way they could play into this thing. You know, no different than why go here and sit on the bench and come here and start and yeah. make the tournament, you know? So I, it's going to be interesting. I mean, this is essentially, it's a guinea pig year. Yeah, it is. Like what happens with Jalen Green and, and potentially uh, Greg Brown? could determine i mean maybe this is too much but it could determine the future of college basketball well i do think it, it i don't know how large of an impact it would it would have on college basketball as a whole i think it's far it, too it depends on safe. how many kids they want on this team yeah. i mean do, do they want a starting five do they want a rotation of eight or do they want a full team of say 12 i mean if you're if you're going if you're starting to go like 12 deep. I mean, that's a lot of kids that are no longer going to, that's a full class at Kentucky, Duke, and somewhere else. Yeah. I do think if this is successful and it grows, 
over time, it will absolutely have an impact yet to be seen on college basketball as a whole. Yeah, and like, and, and where does it stop? Is it just going to be one team forever? Probably not. Not if it takes off. I guarantee you within two years it would be multiple teams if yeah. it works. Yeah, but I think this could help a program like Alabama. If Will Wade and Bruce Pearl and Coach Cal are no longer – pulling in lottery picks or multiple lottery picks in Kentucky's case, obviously that kind of dilutes the the talent some in college basketball, right? And if Nate Oates or, or just Alabama in general in the future continue just pulling the talent they've pulled, that closes that talent gap some between them and a school like Kentucky. Well, no, it brings it down to what it, it used to be about. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the development, the long-term development of somebody within your system. Yeah, yeah. And some coaches are going to get exposed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, you know, they're never, they're no longer going to have the fifth overall pick in the draft every year. Yeah. No so, uh, and, and you could say like, Hey, if this was in place a few years ago, Alabama doesn't land Colin Sexton, but how often does Colin Sexton come around for Alabama periodically? Well, hopefully pretty damn often. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so. but, but, but realistically, how many times has that happened? Uh, man, once every eight, 10 years. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, and how often does a top 10 talent come through Lexington? Every cycle, <laughs> every single About cycle. three a year. Yeah. So. so we'll see how it plays out and nothing is certain, but I, d- I do see a scenario where this is positive. Maybe I'm just looking at it in the way, the way I want to, to see well, the it. Logic is, the logic is sound. I'll okay. give you that. So. Right. Nate Oates and staff has secured four commitments over the past two weeks, Brad. They currently have the 18th ranked recruiting class in the country, and that is not counting maybe the best player in the class and grad transfer Jordan Bruner from Yale. So let me ask you this before we go down this list. Did this season do anything to maybe damage your outlook on Nate Oates? Just that he can't make a season go any faster because I was looking forward to this next one. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you, you could see a lot of a lot of good throughout the season, but you, you also saw how he recruited and how Brian Hodgson's recruited. And we all had hope that that was going to come together. And to me, I I don't know if I expected an outbreak of recruits in the midst of an outbreak overall. So Mm -hmm. uh, it was great, though, to not only go north of the border, you know, like we're actually part of the the watch here and go and snatch in a Canadian, you know, getting a a grad transfer from Yale. I mean, we're essentially the Yale of the South as it is. You think think he's going to be able to get in at Alabama? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a, there's some steep competition with all this out of state stuff coming in around them. Let me tell you, Yeah. but no, I, I think it was incredible. And I really, uh, I also wouldn't be shocked if we're not fully completed yet either. Yeah, there is a, it's possible that they add one more. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not sure. So you're still, you are still on the Nate Oates train. This season did nothing to change your view I mean, on that. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, when you look at a first year and you look at the adjustment of an entire program yeah. uh, in year one of a, any coach that does something not traditional to what's established, you're going to look at the, the smaller picture, the ma- the micro instead of the macro. You look at the wins and losses all you want. I get that. And the unfortunately, the final 10 games or so of what is the end of the season now. And you, you can harp on that. That's fine. But let's look at the points per game that we were doing, the time of possession, the de- the defense, uh, the injuries. You have to take into account to this. Yeah. I, I mean, if anything, that costs three to four games there on its own. Oh, easy. So easy. It, the way I saw it, I saw a lot of good. I didn't see a lot of bad. And now you've got some cancer out of this program now, too. And you got a lot of top new talent that's going to fit even better coming in. So 
you helped me find the bad in this because it, if anything, it changed my opinion of Nate Oates. Yes, it changed it to an even more positive light. Yeah, like we we didn't have the season that maybe was expected or that we had hoped for, hoped for, but they had the absolute worst luck I have ever witnessed in a season. Like they signed a top five JUCO player in the country, tears his ACL right before the season begins. <laughs> top ranked incoming freshman tears his ACL right before the season begins. They sign a former McDonald's All-American point guard in Javon Quinterly. They're convinced as an entire staff that he'll get a waiver for to play immediately. That gets denied by the NCAA. Their best defender, Herb Jones, missed a couple of games at such a pivotal point in the season. But he comes back and he's literally playing multiple games with one hand. He's shooting left-handed free throws. <laughs> Then the final, the, the dagger was John Petty missing games with his injury at the end of the season. And, and that completely, that just crippled them, in, in my opinion. And with all of that, they were still on the bubble heading into their final regular season game. So it's hard to imagine so many things going so poorly for them again. No, I agree. I, I'm never, I'm never going to say it can't, but. <laughs> now, this is uh, Alabama really, basketball, so it yeah. can. Yeah, if if we did anything, we hopefully got it out of our system early. So yeah, uh, but moving on to the class, uh, we'll go bottom to top. So we'll start with the lowest ranked player in the class, Darius Miles. He's a top one hundred and fifty overall prospect, six seven small forward. And first of all, if I'm talking Alabama basketball and I say the lowest ranked prospect, you're saying it before yeah, I was going to say it yeah. in the class is still <laughs> in the top one hundred and fifty. That's a positive, right? Yep. Uh, he's long. He can shoot the three. He needs to add weight. He's skinny. But a subtle added bonus to this commitment, Darius Miles, is that he played at IMG Academy. We've talked about IMG on this show before. It's basically it's a sports factory for the top players in the country. So I don't hate Nate Oates getting his foot in the door there. Now, I don't know if it'll help in the future, but it definitely cannot hurt. Absolutely. Fourth highest ranked player in the class, Keon Ambrose Hilton, four-star. 104th overall prospect. 6'8", power forward from Canada. He was part of the Canadian national team as well. Uh, I don't think Hilton is really getting the attention the others are right now because he wasn't part of like the two-week flurry of commitments. He was the first commitment. But for a program that needed guys that can play the four and the five, it would not surprise me at all to see him contribute immediately, even even with the added depth we'll see next season. You brought up the, the Canada factor too. It's it's a good thing they brought in two guys that both played on the Canadian national team together. You get guys that already have built that report with each other. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it doesn't hurt that they're two pretty damn talented players. As well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the third ranked player in Alabama's class, and these three are really these are sure shots to be significant contributors com- contributors immediately. I would be shocked if they aren't. Uh, but the third-ranked player is Keon Ellis. He's also the third-ranked JUCO player in the country, Brad. 6'6", can also shoot the three. JUCO All-American. He averaged 18.1 per game. He rebounds the ball well for a combo guard. Uh, and by the way, the top overall JUCO player, Jay Scrub, is entering the draft. So this really makes Keon Ellis the second-best JUCO player entering D1 college basketball. Yeah, I mean, not to get technical, but hey, it is what it is. <laughs> hey, if we can move up one spot, we're going to. you damn right. Uh, I think the significance of the top two players in Alabama's class are probably equal. I wouldn't know who to say is the top guy. If you're looking at NBA, like the draft boards, I'd say Josh Primo is. But you have five-star Josh Primo from Canada. I've seen him projected as a lottery pick in some future mock drafts. 
Then there's grad transfer, big man Jordan Bruner from Yale. Uh, he was arguably the top grad transfer in college basketball. He was down to, like, this is just a good descri- description. Like, you'll know what type of player he is by this. He was down to Baylor, who is the, probably the top team in the country this year. Mm-hmm. Maryland, who has a really, really good history with big men and a good recent history with big men. His other option was remaining in the NBA draft or <laughs> Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, most people, I mean, if you if you weren't familiar with Nate Oates and you were just a casual college basketball guy, Alabama's fourth on that list, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Nate Oates convinced this guy to choose Alabama, uh, so that cannot be overstated. And when their class is calculated, 18th overall, grad transfers are not factored in. So they have a top 20 class without one of their two top guys counting. Well, yeah, and doesn't ESPNs also admit Josh from theirs as well, being from Canada? Yeah, so 24-7 is the only website that ranked Primo recently. So the others, like Rivals and ESPN, they ranked him, I think, his sophomore year when he was playing in in the States, and they still had him as a four-star and like a decently ranked player. But 24-7 is the only entity that ranks international players. So his only true ranking is 24-7s, who has him as top 30 in the country, five-star. Yeah, just another reason why ESPN is terrible. Yeah, they, they are the worst. As far as, like, the recruiting sites, just stray away, ESPN. <laughs> like, I think they only have one guy with their football coverage, right? Tom Luganbill? <laughs> yeah, Lord knows we'll never let him forget anything about Julio Jones, too. So. Yeah, he made his own bed. Uh, he has uh, he his comments on Julio were just uh. he is so butthurt every time somebody brings it up too and I don't blame him because if I had to live I, I've got to live with some stuff I've said but if I had to live with that buddy <laughs> I don't know but like why don't why would you not just embrace it you know what I mean like I said the dumbest thing I could have possibly ever said about Julio Jones it was dumb. It, like just admit that it was stupid. Like, embrace yeah. that you said something stupid. I mean, it's, it's only been daggum 12 years, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, just to sell everyone on Jordan Bruner, who can also shoot the three, by the way, as a big. Uh, yeah, I don't think anyone com- – I don't think most of the players coming into this class don't have some type of ability to shoot a three-point shot. So. Yeah, it's like there's a theme here. Uh, but not that I need to sell anyone on <laughs> Alabama adding a big, like with the way the season went, but Bruner isn't – He's not just a body. He's going to change a lot for Nate Oates. Do you remember the tournament, Brad, in, in the Bahamas at the start of the year? Mm-hmm. Alabama played North Carolina, and mm-hmm. Ar- Armando Bacot killed Alabama's bigs. Like he, he was basically playing volleyball. Every time a shot went up, he would either get in position and get an offensive rebound, or he tipped the ball out to his guards, mm-hmm. even if he was out of position. Like That entire yeah. game was him tipping the ball out to his guards. He was the sole reason Carolina won that game. But Yale played UNC. Jordan Brunner had 17 points, 15 rebounds. Armando Bacot, stat line, six rebounds, two points. Mm. You're talking about him doing that against one of the dominant bigs in college basketball. If Alabama got that same performance from one of their bigs in the Bahamas, they win that game going away. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. So having a big that can defend, he can defend, he can rebound, he can score, he can shoot the three. That's going to open up so much more for Nate Oates and what's he, what he wants to do. I mean, it plays perfectly into it. No, and I also saw there were some stats. Unfortunately, I don't have them in front of me. But even when he was on the floor with Yale, 
they were better not only offensively, but they were consistently better game in and game out defensively as well, harping on what you're talking about in terms of rebounds, block shots, things as such. Yeah, and uh, also his stat lines, uh, when people look him up, he almost averaged like a double-double every game. But Yale is one of the slowest-paced teams in the country. So they're play- they're playing at – it's like one of the top ten slowest paces in, in the nation. And he's still averaging, you know, basically a double-double. And uh, so <laughs> then you put him in Nate Oates' system, who wants to play the fastest pace in the country. I- I'm really curious to see how this how this goes. Because you're, you're putting in a guy that was that productive in such a slow, methodical system where, you know, teams are scoring in the 50s every game. Then it transitions to this, to where Alabama's in the 80s every game. It's going to be yeah, fun. They move the ball. Yeah, they move the ball around a hell of a lot and up and down the court really fast. Uh, again, find the negative. Yeah. This is going to be the first time that he plays where he's not basically taking a shot with <laughs> three seconds on the shot clock. Yeah. There's far less dribbling, hopefully. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been the Roll Bama Roll Podcast. Roll Todd.